Hi everyone, welcome to How Did You Gain a Testimony? I interview all different kinds of people to figure out how they gained a testimony in hopes that you can relate to one of them and find comfort in their journey. Finding Jesus Christ is different for everyone, and I hope all these different stories can help you. Today, I interview John Hilton III, a religious education professor at BYU, author, and self-proclaimed amateur magician. I first heard John Hilton speak at my first devotional as a freshman at BYU, completely taken aback by his organization, teaching skills, and mostly his ideas about centering your life around Christ. Later, I listened to the Follow Him podcast where he was a guest expounding and clarifying Isaiah and once again was amazed at his advanced understanding of Hebrew and the scriptures. I've had the pleasure of listening to John speak plenty of other times and I'm truly so excited to have him on my podcast today. John talks about his childhood filled with scripture study and pondering. He explains how he truly gained his testimony through bearing it, especially at one life-changing experience as a 15-year-old at EFY. Ever since, John has tried his best to let God's will prevail in his life, and this conversation shows how his testimony has carried him through the trickiest life decisions. I love John's advice at the end. Make sure to listen for that, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm so excited. Today I'm here with John Hilton. Uh, John, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, absolutely. My name is John Hilton. Um, I am a professor of ancient scripture at Brigham Young University. My wife Lonnie and I have six children and um, I love to snowboard. I love to I'm an amateur magician, so emphasis on the amateur there, but those are some <laughs> of my hobbies and I love uh, talking about Jesus Christ, so I'm glad that we could be together. Perfect. Thank you so much. Okay, so I'm going to start off really quickly with, can you tell me a little bit about what your life was like growing up and what role the gospel played in your life? So I grew up in Seattle, Washington, and the gospel was a huge part of my life. I you know, was totally active in the church. Um, did all of the different like church camps and those kinds of things. Uh, in the community where I grew up, there was a lot of evangelical Christians. Mm. And I remember even like in fifth grade being on the bus and having some kids make fun of me because I was a Mormon. And so from an early age, I, I kind of like, I don't know, felt like I had to know a little bit about my church to be able to defend it. And uh, so from a very young age, I started studying the scriptures kind of with the intent of like really learning, you know, like, what does my church believe? And is this true? Because, you know, like kids were making fun of me. So I wanted to find out like, what's this all about? Yeah. Did the, I mean, prevalence of like different religion around you ever make you doubt your church? So to be honest with you, I think it actually had the opposite influence because I really, I had a strong basis for a testimony at an early age. I, I read the Book of Mormon for the first time when I was 10, or I completed it when I was 10. Wow. And I had really like felt the spirit as I read the Book of Mormon. I was kind of a, a unique kid where I then turned around, I read from the Doctrine and Covenants. I read the Bible when I was in seminary, I read commentaries by an apostle on the New Testament. And so like, I guess kind of some of the challenges where people would challenge my faith or say like, oh, well, your church can't be true because you believe in three degrees of glory or your church can't be true because of this or that 
kind of led me to study harder. And the more I studied, yeah. the more confident I became, uh, both in the holy feelings of the Holy Ghost and in just like the, the scriptural teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's so crazy. Do you think your parents instilled that desire like within you to like learn more? Or do you think that's like innate? I definitely got to give a lot of credit to my parents. That's a great point. Um, um, so both, both of my parents grew up as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My mother's mother was a convert to the church. Um, and so I think she kind of grew up in a household where the church was really strong and she had to, you know, just like everyone else get their own testimony. Uh, my dad uh, also super strong in the church. And so I think I was definitely raised in a home where we did like my parents created something like book of Mormon hour on Sundays was like our special gospel study time. And then we had, uh, well, I have to admit, I was like really obnoxious during book of Mormon hour. So the next year we had church, we had church history half hour. Um, Cause I was, you know, so I'm not, I'm definitely not saying that I was a perfect kid. Like I, I'm sure I was like really annoying. And there was definitely some times when like the gospel, like I didn't want to, you know, do family gospel study time, but my parents yeah. really did inculcate in me a real desire to study and learn. They always, they always had family home evening. We always did family scripture study, and those like little things really add up and make a huge difference. Yeah, for sure. So, what aspects of your testimony, or maybe even like your initial belief, were most easy for you to gain? So here's something that's kind of interesting. My grandpa was a researcher on some aspects of the Book of Mormon. Gets um, a lot, like it's like probably like too much information, but the the short version is he did some statistical studies that showed that different people in the Book of Mormon have unique voices. So like Nephi's voice is distinct mm. from Alma's voice. And that's what you'd expect, right? Because the Book of Mormon portrays them as two different characters. So you'd expect them to talk differently he statistically showed that that was the case. So when I was growing up, like we'd go to family reunions and, you know, some families might go boating or something. We like listen to my grandpa tell us about his latest statistical research. (laughs) And so like, and I learned, I learned stuff like that and like other studies from him. And that was like, so, so I think from an early age, I had kind of this sense that you don't just have to believe the scriptures because your mom told you it was true or, or only through the Holy ghost, even though the Holy ghost is by far the most important, but that there was like some intellectual evidence. And I think learning that from a young age uh, was also a really big boost for me. How did your testimony change as you were growing up, like through high school, like did social pressure ever kind of affect your testimony? So I remember, like you mentioned social pressure, that reminds me of like kind of my trajectory of bearing my testimony. So the first time I ever bore my testimony, I was 10 years old. It was in primary and it was like every kid was bearing his testimony. So I felt like I had to, and I did, but it was like super unmeaningful. And then I had the same experience when I was 12 at youth conference, like all the, I was a brand new deacon and all the deacons bore their testimony except for me. So all the deacons were looking at me like, come on, man, bear testimony. (laughs) So I actually kind of felt like social pressure in that way to share my testimony. But when I was 15 years old, I went to uh, EFY. And during the testimony meeting at EFY, I just felt this powerful spirit like that I wanted to go share my testimony. And as I shared my testimony, 
I really felt the spirit flood my heart saying like, yes, like what you're saying is true. You do know uh, that the church is true. You do know Jesus Christ is real. And that was probably the most powerful spiritual feeling I had ever had up until my life. And, and actually probably like the most spiritual feeling I had until my mission maybe. And yeah. so like that, that like, I mean, so of course, just like everyone else in high school, you know, you struggle with like, oh, what are my peers doing? Or, uh, oh, look, some of these commandments are really hard to live. Like, I think that's normal. But for me, this experience I had as a 15 year old at EFY feeling the Holy Ghost as I bore my testimony was an anchor point. So I don't, like I never had like moments of serious doubt in high school. Yeah. Definitely not saying I was perfect, but like some of these core spiritual experiences were an anchor for me to just yeah. keep going forward. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, sorry. I lost my train of thought here. Oh, a lot of people I feel like have these like spiritual experiences. Like you said, like you, they go to EFY and they're like, oh, wow. I see how much joy the gospel brings me, but then they have a really hard time then taking it back home and applying it to their life and really truly repenting from that spiritual experience. How do you feel like you effectively did that? Um, boy, that's a great question. Em. I wish I, I wish I had like a perfect answer to it. I think the Holy ghost can write something on our hearts in a way that is deeper than anything else. Like I, I had an experience on my mission where I had a spiritual impression about what I should do and should not do to like express feelings and dating relationships after my mission. And like, I stuck to it because the spirit like had just like lodged that in my heart. Whereas I feel yeah. like if I heard a lesson in young men's class or in Sunday school class, it wouldn't have had the same effect. And so I think in this case, it was, it was just that the spirit had testified to me so deeply. This is true that it stuck. Yeah. Do you think like you could be open to the spirit testifying to you in such a way since you had done like that pre preliminary work and that preliminary study? I definitely think that was a part of it. I, I, but I also think like, you know, if maybe there's anyone who's listening right now, um they're probably i wouldn't be surprised if someone's listening they're like this guy sounds like a freak man no wonder he's a religion <laughs> professor he's like you know, like redoing all the scriptures that he when he's a kid uh, alma the younger was on like a pretty bad path and he had a moment where he turned to jesus christ with all of his heart and had a, a massive turnaround so yes i think that my my studies and preparations had had were beneficial but I also think that if there's anyone listening right now who's struggling in their testimony, they're thinking like, maybe it's too late for me. Maybe I've gone too far. It's too no, absolutely not. You have not gone too far. It is not too late. You can turn, put your whole focus on Jesus Christ and find spiritual power and healing through him. I have no doubt that that is the case. For sure. For sure. So you told us a little bit about your experience with your testimony in high school. Where do you think you were at with your relationship with Heavenly Father and your belief in his doctrine um, at the end of high school? Uh, so I think it, it, by the end of high school, I think I was getting better and better. Uh, I, I will say like, M, that it was actually the three to six months right after that experience at EFY that I was kind of at my lowest point. I was at a new school, didn't have classes with any of my friends. So it's so like, I was starting to like drift a little bit, but that's that year I also was in seminary and my 
two seminary teachers, Joyce Murray and Wendy Sharp. They're these spiritual powerhouses and they helped me to memorize scriptures. And it was in that class that I really felt loved by them and could feel the love of Heavenly Father. So I think by the time I graduated from high school, I had kind of like worked through some of those like rocky patches of 10th grade and Mm -hmm. really felt like secure in God's love. Wow. Yeah, seminary is incredible. I love seminary. So after high school, do you go to BYU or or what what did you do? Yep. So I turned 18, went to BYU for a year. um, And my freshman year was also like a foundational uh, year of strengthening my testimony. In that one, um, about halfway through the year, I had my home teachers or ministering brothers, they came and they issued me a challenge to seriously study the Book of Mormon. Like, as I was like, thinking about my life, I I read the Book of Mormon a little bit, but I wasn't like seriously studying it. And so when they gave me that challenge, I'm not saying everyone should do this, but I decided that I was going to start reading the Book of Mormon for 30 minutes every day. And, and so like I had fall semester where I was just like reading a chapter a day, winter semester, I was reading 30 minutes a day. And there was like a night and day difference in my life. And I honestly felt this spiritual power come into my life as I seriously studied the Book of Mormon. Also wow. at the end of my freshman year, I received my endowment in the temple and could also feel like a level of spiritual power. So I think those would be like two major kind of spiritual growth things that took place when I was 18. Yeah. I know that you do on your YouTube channel, I've actually watched the video, about um, preparing to receive your endowment. What was your experience preparing to receive your Oh, man. Well, so if you've seen that video, um, and if anyone's listening, I, I don't know, you would just maybe search like John Hilton Temple Endowment video. It should come up in YouTube. Um, it's actually the video that I wish I would have had before I went to the temple. I was dramatically unprepared. I think like back in that day, people just talked less about the temple than they do now. It was more like hush hush. Yeah. And so I really did not know what to expect. And most of the things that I had heard about what would happen in the temple were actually like incorrect. It was like rumors that, you know, like you just heard around. Wow. And so like that kind of stressed me out, to be honest with you. So at the end of the first time going through the temple, receiving my endowment, my dad was like, so do you want to come back tomorrow? And I was like, no way. (laughs) Um, it was not a great experience, but fortunately I I had like six weeks or seven weeks until my mission. And we, it was only a 15 minute drive from us to the temple. So I just said that I was just going to go back. I was going to go to the temple every week until my mission. And by like the third, fourth, fifth time I was doing an endowment session, that's when like the spiritual power came. So I would say if there's anyone listening and like you, you didn't have the greatest experience when you went to the temple for the first time to not like give up, but to go back a few more times. And, and as I talked to lots of people, I feel like it's the third, fourth, fifth time that a person can like, I don't know, really feel the spirit of the temple. Cause the first couple of times you're sort of like getting used to what's going on. That was kind of my hope with the video was to help people know what to expect so that it wasn't so, um, I don't know something that you weren't used to when you went through for the first time. Have you, have you received your endowment yet? No, I'm going to like in two months or so just. Okay. So you're, wow, look at you. You're doing way better temple prep than I I did. Way to go. go. I'm super excited. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about 
what your before you went on a mission did you like always knew that you were going to go did you want to go were you scared what were your fears um so i it was just kind of like a thing that like i'd always planned on doing i i can't remember a time when i was ever not planning to go on a mission um it definitely did start to get more real the closer i got and and i realized like i don't really know what missionaries do like i have this sort of like vague idea of going on a mission but like what does that actually mean i think the only thing i was really afraid of is i was afraid of going to a place where there was would not be hot showers and i'd be scared of the food uh, <laughs> the lord knew me he called me to denver colorado which to be honest with you, when I opened my call and I saw Denver, Colorado, I was a little bit disappointed because, mm -hmm. you know, I, like my friends were going to like more exotic places, Rome or different things like that. But um, I, I don't know, like within a couple of days of getting my call, I was like, okay, you know, Colorado's good. At least there's some McDonald's and a hot shower. <laughs> and then like, once I got there, I really, you know, strongly felt like, oh, this is where I need to be. And and my mission was another like huge kind of pivotal point in deepening my testimony. Yeah. Were there any points in your mission that were like rocky or like kind of shook your testimony? Um, I don't, I don't know that that, like the only things that, that were, I might consider rocky. There was a few thing times where like, mission like there would be like one or two missionaries who would be like hey do you want to like learn some deep doctrine i'm i'm like making air quotes when i say deep doctrine like, <laughs> they'd want to talk about like something controversial and sometimes it was stuff that i hadn't heard of before like the fact that joseph smith had had more than one wife like i don't know if that might not be quite the right example but there like there were things like that um one time we were knocking on doors and we knocked into a family and the family was polygamous. And so like, they started saying all this stuff about early church history details with polygamy that I was not well equipped to address. And I don't know, like it, it definitely didn't like ruin my testimony, but I was like, whoa, that's, there's a lot of stuff there that I, I don't know as well as I thought I did. Yeah. But, I, but I think for me, like the, the harder part was, um, I remember, a time when I had like, I had taught a bunch of people, I'd helped all these people get baptized. And then like three months later, I went back to the area and I found that almost everyone I had taught had stopped coming to church. And that was really hard emotionally yeah. to kind of feel like, am I making a real difference in these people's lives? Or am I just like here for a few weeks, they make a change, but then they fall back. And, and so I, I remember like being in my mission president's office, just like crying about, you know, feeling like I wasn't making as big of a difference as I wanted to. So those were, I mean, so, so yes, the mission definitely was not all roses. Um, those were some of the challenges that I experienced. Yeah. How did your testimony, testimony grow on your mission? How did it not grow? <laughs> I mean, I, I think like one of the best ways to strengthen a person's testimony is to live the gospel and to teach others about it. And so as a missionary, you know, you're all about living the gospel and teaching others about it. So that, that was a great experience for me to um, really be able to dive deep into scriptures, into teaching, and then also just seeing miracles. Missionaries, um, I think, are because you're focused full time on the Lord. You see a lot of miracles um, where the Holy Ghost like says, hey, you know, go down this street. And then you go down that street, and you knock on the door and someone's like, oh, I was just hoping to meet you guys. And um, that, that type of experience over and over and over again, really strengthened my testimony. 
Yeah. As you were nearing the end of your mission, were you, like, scared at all to go home? So this might sound weird, Em, but I, I was not scared to start my mission, and I was also not scared to end my mission. My mm-hmm. kind of philosophy is if you're all in, everything's going to work out. So I was super all in, planning to go on my mission, boom, ready to go. And I worked hard my entire mission, so I kind of felt like, all right, great. I did what I was here to do. Let's go home and hit the next thing just as hard. So I was excited to start my mission and ready to move on to the next chapter at the end. A lot of people find a really hard time striking a balance between like here they served a mission and they were devoting their entire lives to the Lord for a year or so. Um, And then they come home and then they're like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to focus on knowing what I'm going to do for the rest of my life and making money and all that stuff. How did you find that balance? I mean, so it, it definitely is hard. And I think that it's true that people will kind of like navigate this differently. I think that for me, one thing that was really helpful was remembering that getting a good education was not just about me. Getting a good education was about supporting a family. It was about having a career that allowed me enough time so where I could serve in God's kingdom. And so I think that if you, if a, if a person can like look at their education or their, whatever their post-mission life is with the lens of how is this not just about me right now, but me, me as a part of building God's kingdom now and in the future, mm-hmm. I think that can be a really helpful perspective. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, how did you decide what you wanted to do after your mission? So my original plan uh, was to do something in the finance world. Before my mission, I had been an intern with Merrill Lynch, which is like a stockbroking company. And I was really interested in stocks. My major was business management. But on my mission, I really love teaching, especially teaching teenagers. And my mission president had been a full-time seminary teacher for his career. So, and I had never heard of that as a career growing up in Seattle, we just had early morning seminary. So at that time, BYU had some classes that you could take to prepare to become a full-time seminary teacher. And like you took these two classes, if you did well, you could become a part-time teacher while you're still in college. And then if that went well, when you graduated, they would offer you a job to be a full-time seminary teacher. So I was kind of pursuing both tracks. It was, March of my senior year, and I had a job offer from a consulting firm in Boston that seemed to be like a really promising business job. And I also got offered a job to be a full-time seminary teacher. So my wife and I, we were actually engaged then, like we had this kind of big choice to make. We flew out to Boston together and, you know, toured the consulting company. We thought about teaching seminary. She had been a part-time seminary teacher herself while she was in college. And I think like at the end of the day, I just felt a passion around gospel teaching. I think being a a business consultant would have been a really fun career. And um, I like to think that I could have done a good job with that. But at the end of the day, like my heart, like what did I really want to be going to work and doing every day? I just felt so excited about teaching high school students about Jesus Christ. And so that was the, that was the route I went. Wow. As you were teaching these high school kids, what did you see was like a very common wall 
to gaining their testimony? Like, what would they struggle with a lot? That's a good question. And just like, I mean, so the, I taught seminary be, from 2000 to 2003. So, I mean, this is like a whole generation ago. I think honestly, the hard, some of the hardest things that people were facing is just making the choice to be consistent in gospel living. It's easy to mm-hmm. one day say, yeah, things are amazing. But, you know, students struggled with law of chastity, drug use, um, and so like just some of like the staying consistent in gospel living. Mm. And, and I think especially for people, and there was a lot, a lot of my students came from families where their parents were not fully active in the church at all. And so it was all on them. That made, I think that's really hard. Yeah. Um, so I think that was another like com- kind of common thing. And I, I do think like, I think that over time, like, so I grew up in the eighties and nineties. And I think like back then it was more like, as I talk to people who are my age, they'll say things like, yeah, when we were growing up, it was sort of like, okay, this is what you, this is what we're supposed to do. Okay, great. We'll do it. Yeah. Whereas now maybe it's not exactly that same way. Yeah, no, I totally agree. How did you keep yourself from, I don't know, like feeling the pressure to, fully like convert your seminary students and like staying like I know I'm doing the right thing I don't know like how did you not get hard on yourself Hmm. that's a good question um probably part of it is just like personality like I in my personality like I want to do the very best I can but I also realize that with conversion it's just not in your control so mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to beat myself up over something that I can't control. Um, but, but there definitely were hard times. Like just yesterday, I was thinking about a student that I really loved and worked hard to help her feel the Holy ghost. But she like, she joined the, she got baptized, like, you know, during the year that she was in seminary, but then she kind of drifted away. And I was just thinking the other day of like, you know, could I have done something different? Like how could I have, like reached out to her in a better way. So, so I, I don't know that like I've, I fully have done what you're talking about. Sometimes I did put that pressure on myself, but I, I tried to just, you know, do the very best that I could and then know that it's not me. It's not you. That's going to lead to anyone's conversion. It's Jesus Christ. And I really do believe that Jesus Christ can reach out to people in lots of different ways and lots of different times. And who knows the person I'm talking about, her name's Gabby, Gabby Moreno. Maybe she's listening right now. And she's like, no, like brother Hilton, like I totally came back to the church the next year. Like, I mean, who knows, right. There's all sorts of different things that um, people will be a part of their journey. So I think remembering that was also helpful Mm -hmm. to know that if a person left today, that does not mean that they're not coming back tomorrow. Yeah. I think a lot of people, when they like look at their career options and they're like, Oh, I love the gospel, but I also like need to make a living and like need to like provide or whatever. How did you keep that from being the overwhelming concern and just like follow what you were most passionate about? Yeah. Looking back at it, that is a great question. Like, wow, what was I thinking? Um, I don't know. I just didn't worry about it. There's a, one of the hymns is do what is right. Let the consequence follow. And so once I kind of like felt that this was, it was the right path for me to start teaching seminary full time. 
I just didn't worry about it. And everything's worked out like, yeah, obviously, like, I'm sure I would have earned more money in a different career, but we've had sufficient for our needs. We're doing great. Um, but but I like also hasten to say that I do not think that everyone needs to be a full-time seminary teacher. Like, <laughs> yeah, I have, um, you know, like pe- people in my life who have done super well financially, and then they've turned around and they've used their wealth to bless literally thousands of people through humanitarian efforts or um, I have some family members who were a key part of starting Book of Mormon Central. So now it's called Scripture Central, but it's this like website and videos that are dedicated to strengthening people in Jesus Christ. And that came about because of their ability to earn a lot of money and donate money to a charity. So I, so I'm, I would never say like, oh, you just have to like, choose to not earn as much money as you can and to devote your life to Jesus. I think there's lots of ways that we can devote our lives to Jesus Christ. And sometimes that's being really well uh, established financially so that we can turn around and bless others. I love that perspective. Um, Where did your career take you after seminary? So I taught seminary for three years. Then I went and I got a master's degree. Um, And after that, I taught institute for four years in Miami, Florida. And then I wanted to get a PhD. So I got my PhD at BYU. And then I had like a one, one and a half years. I did one year of teaching seminary in Salt Lake. And then one year where I was full-time in the church office building, working on different initiatives, mostly like around technology and teenagers, like creating websites. Like the, there was a youth website at the time that I was working on and some videos for youth. Yeah. And then and then from there I came to BYU and became a religion professor. And that's where I've been for the past twelve years or so. That's so cool. I think being a BYU religion professor, you're surrounded by some genius people. <laughs> some I don't know, just like masters of their craft. <laughs> um, how did you keep from comparing yourself to them? <laughs> uh, that's super hard. Um, I'll tell you I'll tell you a quick story. So about 10 years ago, I went with Brad Wilcox to speak at a girls camp. So we were getting our stuff ready and I was the first speaker. He was going to be the second speaker. And as I'm getting prepared, uh, this 12 year old young woman comes up and she has a camera. And I thought like, wow, that is so precious. She wants to get her picture taken with me. Cause like I'd written a couple books. Like I thought like I'm a big deal. And she looks, she looks at me and she goes, are you Brad Wilcox? <laughs> and I said, no. And she goes, oh, and walks away. And I'm like, oh man, I'm such a loser. So I, I do think it, it is, it is definitely hard. I am not the, like the greatest speaker. I'm not the most eloquent, definitely not the funniest, definitely not the smartest. So you're right. Like it is a little bit challenging at BYU um, as in other places, right. To compare yourself to others. But you just try to remind yourself, look, be the best person that you can be. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, it is a real honor and blessing for me to just like walk down the hall and I'm like, oh, I've got a question about the book more or the Old Testament or some church history question. And like the experts, the people who wrote the books on those topics are just down the hall from me. So to be able to go talk to them is, I think, one of the real blessings of my life. I work with incredibly faithful, talented people at uh, BYU Religion. And so it's really fun to count them as my colleagues and friends. Yeah, that's so cool. So you mentioned how you published a few books and 
I think you've gained considerable traction <laughs> in that arena. Um, how, like, do you get criticism ever? And like, how do you take that? <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, that's the question. So yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to put anything out there, there's going to be some criticism. So the most recent book I wrote was Considering the Cross, How Calvary Connects Us with Christ. And so the other day I went on to Amazon because I'm like, oh, I wonder if like what kind of reviews there have been. And at the time, the most recent review was a one-star review. And like, and it was a super long review with like a wow. ton of criticisms. And some of the criticisms, honestly, I was like, oh, wow, that's a good point. Like, I wish they would have told me before I published it. Like, I could have, I could have improved in that area. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, like you can't let that get you down right so uh, like in this specific review there were some things i'm like oh really like come on man give me a break but other stuff i was like oh that's a good point and so i think you have to be able to take feedback like that's part of probably any job is the ability to take feedback and build on it um and there have been times when i've like pitched a proposal to desert book or to another company and they've been like no we don't want to publish this and like that's been painful um, mm -hmm. but like, that's just, that's part of the growing and learning process. And I'm really grateful, um, for, for me, all of the books that I've published, uh, so far have been with Desert Book and that's a relationship that I'm really grateful for. Like, I feel like they've helped me, editors there have helped me to take books that I wrote that were like just good and helped me to take them to the next level. So I think sometimes that criticism can be a real blessing to help, uh, be a catalyst for improvement. Yeah. I mean, I want to talk a little bit about your wife, Lainey. Is that how you say her name? Oh, uh, Lonnie. 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 That's a Hawaiian okay. name. Yeah. Okay. Lonnie, um, how was your marriage in the temple? How did that impact your testimony? So, you know, I think one of the powerful things about a temple marriage is it really expands your perspective that this marriage is for this life and forever. So I think it has strengthened my, for sure my testimony, I think probably hers as well, both of our testimonies as far as like the importance of families and the importance of that you, you stick with your family, you keep going. And, and in saying that, like, I'm not suggesting like if you're an abusive marriage, you should stick with it. Like that's obviously a, a different thing, but what, I, what I'm referring to is I think there's a lot of times in marriage where people just like have disagreements or they say like, quote, we fell out of love and quote, mm -hmm. but I feel like a temple marriage helps you see, no, we are in a committed relationship. And as long as both of us are, you know, doing our best to follow Jesus Christ, we need to stay in this committed relationship, um, no matter what the other circumstances might be. Yeah. What about being a father? I know parenthood is really hard, but how has that helped your testimony? Hmm, that's a great question, Em. I think um, kind of like what, one of the things we were saying earlier is that you gain a testimony or strengthen your testimony as you bear your testimony to others. And so mm. as a father, like I have lots of opportunities to teach my kids. Um, so like that's an area that strengthened my testimony. And also, I want to set a good example for my children. So probably, I mean, probably if I didn't have any children, maybe I wouldn't have been quite as conscientious in living the gospel because I'd be like, oh, it doesn't matter. Whereas when I'm a dad, I'm like, oh, well, I better 
better do this good whatever this good thing is or i better not watch this movie because i don't want my kids to see me watching this movie and be like oh wow i'm sending a bad example for my kids so i think being a father has like pushed me to um, be a better person and i think as you live god's teachings you know that's another way that your testimony is strengthened yeah no i i fully agree Okay, my last few questions are just about advice, um, helping others or, or listeners. What advice would you give to somebody who feels far from Heavenly Father, like they can't feel God's love? That's really hard. Um, I think what I would, my, my number one piece of advice would be to hang on to keep going strong. I think about Jesus Christ on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ felt completely abandoned and alone on the cross, but he didn't stop. He kept on going. Another really inspiring story in that vein is Mother Teresa. So you probably heard like Mother Teresa, uh, a Catholic who was so faithful throughout all of her life and serving the poor. Yeah. But she later wrote about how she had some powerful spiritual experiences as a younger person. But then there was a long stretch of time in her life where she did not feel God's love. She felt completely disconnected from him. But she didn't quit. She didn't like give up on God. And in time, she she grew to see that this disconnected feeling she had from God was something that God had given her as a gift to help her connect with the poor who also often were feeling disconnected from God. Yeah. And so because she stayed with God, even in that difficulty, um, she grew to have more of a connection with God. And I think like what, one more quick example, like think about how all the disciples felt when Jesus was crucified. You and I, we know that Jesus is going to be resurrected. So like, we're not that sad when we hear that's part of the story but they did not understand fully the resurrection. So they thought when Jesus died, it was over. And one of the things that I love is that after Christ died, his disciples, they did not leave. They stayed close to the tomb and they were there on resurrection morning. So to me, like there's a lesson that even when you think it's all over, when your hopes, your expectations are crushed, you don't feel God's love, stay close to Jesus, don't leave. Um, and my testimony is like, as we keep on the right track, that eventually those feelings of love and closeness to God, they will return. Sometimes mm -hmm. we just have to keep going even when it feels dark. Yeah. What is your advice to somebody who is preparing to serve a mission and feels like they're not good enough, but specifically like doctrinally, like you talked about how like people would ask questions about polygamy and you were like, Oh, actually, I don't know. I haven't really heard of that. I think <laughs> I have a lot of friends who are like really actually worried about scenarios like that. Cause they're like, well, I know it's a thing, but like, I don't know what to say. What, what advice would you give to those missionaries? There's a great, so I would, I would tell them to Google a talk by Neil L. Anderson. Uh, and the talk is called, you know, enough. And basically elder Anderson talks about as he was preparing to serve his mission, he kind of felt, unprepared and like he was wondering like should i even go and the holy ghost said to him something like you don't know everything but you know enough mm. and that would be my main advice is to not not worry about what you don't know focus on the primary questions do you know do you have a testimony of god 
Do you have a testimony of Jesus Christ? Do you have a testimony of the Book of Mormon? Do you have a testimony of Joseph Smith and the Restoration? Mm -hmm. If you do, you know enough. And yes, there's like more to learn, but that's the great thing. On your mission, you're studying for two hours plus every day. You're going to learn way more in your mission. Um, and I think I, for me, that phrase, you don't know everything, but you know enough is really, really comforting. Mm -hmm. You talked about how when you were a seminary teacher, people had a hard time fully committing their life to the gospel. What advice would you give to individuals who feel that way? You know, Jesus Christ said that if you want to find your life, lose it. And I understand that that's way easier advice to like give than to put into practice. Yeah. But I know that when we fully commit ourselves to Jesus Christ, when we turn our lives over to him, then God works miracles in our lives. And sometimes you just have to take that step of faith into the unknown with the hope and the confidence that he's not going to let you go. Yeah. Yeah. And lastly, what advice would you give to somebody who's struggling to gain a testimony? You know, for me in my life, I found that a testimony was gained when I stood up and bore it. And if you had asked me like the week before EFY, how strong is your testimony? Like, I mean, like I had, I knew I had some kind of testimony, but I had never voluntarily borne it before. And when I did, there was a strength that came into me. And I'm certainly not suggesting that like a person should like lie or fake it kind of a thing, but you probably have a testimony of something. And so testify to other people, whether that's in like a formal fast and testimony meeting, or if you're talking with your friends, share the truths that you do know, or even the truths that you believe or hope to be true. And I found that as, as we share and live the gospel, it sinks deeper into our hearts. Wow. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast today. I loved our conversation. I felt the spirit a ton. Um, yeah, I think your advice was really good. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. I hope that they have ears to hear when they're listening to this. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. I mean, John's fervent faith is so inspiring and his desire to serve Christ is so obvious. I love how we got to talk kind of about every stage in life and just give a little bit of advice for everything. So if any of those questions I asked resonates with you, um, a friend or a family member, please share this podcast with them. For updates on when new episodes come out, follow the podcast Instagram at gain underscore a underscore testimony and email or DM me for any suggestions or ideas. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time.